Jesus, don't keep any of this in the podcast, Alex. I'm begging you. I sound like such a fucking idiot. Welcome, everyone, to House of Bards. We are a podcast about Dungeons and Dragons and other tabletop role-playing games, the airy-fairy shared narrative storytelling side of it. And I am Bethany, and this is Alex. Greetings, everybody. Um, today's subject is magic versus technology. I don't know if we've alluded to this before, but we've been wanting to do this episode for a while. I'm fairly certain, actually, that it did... It turned up at least once last episode. Uh, yeah. Or the, whichever episode was immediately after us having all of those technical difficulties we alluded to. Like, this was planned from a while back, like, pretty much since episode two. Yeah. This um, has been one we've been wanting to do for a while. So um, I thought that since you had episode two, which was technology, and then three episodes later in episode five you had magic, mm. then this one, episode eight, should be magic versus technology so yeah you got a little bit of uh, a little bit of pattern in, in continuity there mm. and there are settings that play more with this as a major theme than perhaps dungeons and dragons does and we'll probably talk about them in a bit um but essentially magic versus technology it's you know it's themes about really science versus nature the progress of man versus natural in the world because magic's normally yeah but a it's natural also, thing it, it's, it's a number of other things and it really mm. depends on the work that it's turning up in yeah um like one of the i think the the biggest um arguments for magic versus technology as a trope is that it's it's symbolic of this idea of old traditions centered in a culture very much in its elders yeah um being set up as oppositional to new progressive uh, behaviours, which are centred not in the very young, but in like the reasonably young and the early middle aged. Yeah. Um, and of course, like as the technology starts advancing faster, then the particular demographic who hold the most perceived control get younger and younger. Yeah. Um, honestly, the reason why I think this particular trope turns up so much because actually i'm going to like split this right open as to maybe wondering what is a particular verdict on this trope i do not like magic versus technology i think it's a lazy boring trope that has ruined more than its fair share of fantasy universes that could otherwise have been quite interesting but i I do see why it keeps turning up because it is it's symbolic for this very sort of central conflict to what a lot of um more modern fantasy writers and Honestly, a huge number of science fiction writers have been plagued by. I mean, uh, one, of first, one of the first uh, science fiction books ever was uh, Frankenstein, which it was, yes. you have been reading, haven't you? I have been reading, yeah. I think I've mentioned it to you that I do not like this book. I've really been trying to like this book, but I just hate all of the characters. Um <laughs> I just... Uh, Victor Frankenstein makes such bad decisions. Own up to what you fucking did, mate. I can't even with this map anywhere. But yes, I have been reading it. And there is some definite strong themes of... Not necessarily magic, but... No, but like the, the stuff yeah. behind that particular um, fear 
is mm. this whole idea that uh, new technologies progress too fast yeah. and they risk overwriting uh, old received wisdom and morality and the culture of people. Uh, I must say, I, by contrast, I love Frankenstein. I think as a work of classic literature, it has aged incredibly well for how old it is. And it's very engaging. And also, if you actually read the book, then you get a reason for why you do that thing about, like, correcting people about, well, actually, Frankenstein was a doctor, rather than just sort of being a knob for no particular reason. Like, if you read the book, they are actually, like, very yeah. distinct and different characters with, like, completely opposing goals. Mm. It's not a case of, like, Frankenstein is the doctor up until the monster turns up and then the monster is, the, like, the star of the show. It's not. Read Frankenstein. If only it were that god. <laughs> like, uh, honestly, I think that would be weaker. Like, it is basically, like, Beth is right, it's basically a... a book full of Victor Frankenstein making incredibly poor decisions, being punished for his incredibly poor decisions, and then, in reaction to that, making even worse decisions. I just... At least tell someone. Tell someone what you did. At least do that. Just then maybe... have a fucking chat with the monster. Like, just... Don't be a knob. I mean, he's having a chat with the monster now, and it's like... But it doesn't go well. It, they, it's it's like, not like At the point where I'm at, he's like... Base and it's just it doesn't go well and it goes on forever as well while you know the monster just says my life is so fucking sad and like I assume he's trying to be like don't you see what pain you have wrought on me totally understand that monster he totally has but then Victor Frankenstein's just like I don't care I'm out of here like though to be like to be fair with um Frankenstein, it's not actually new technology that makes Victor Frankenstein make the monster. It's old writings of like old scientists who thought they could do this, not new scientists. Which I, th- I think is very interesting. Yeah, but there's still like a lot of, of thematic um, Yeah, yeah. Like science advances too fast. Like that's the mm. whole... And this is actually a thing that really pisses me off about like modern horror and sci-fi is that because that was, like, the, the grounding, the rooting of the genre, Yeah. like, there's a whole lot of, like, hand-wringing inherent in yeah. modern sci-fi that's pretty much completely baseless. Yeah. In fairness to Mary Shelley, I think she presents... No, not I, just, I, I don't blame like, Mary Shelley, because yeah. at the time, like, the cultural landscape with regard to how science was progressing was completely different. Yeah, Engineering and, as well. Yeah, like, and I think, yeah... And it's not like she she doesn't present Victor Frankenstein as this science-wielding mad scientist charlatan. She's largely very sympathetic to him and also to other characters who want to make progress in technology. You know, she's not Michael Crichton, who is a grumpy old man who yells at clouds. Like, mm. she's not that. Uh, honestly, I think, like, to her uh, to her audience, she, she got through pretty well. Yeah, yeah. It's because at the time, of course, that was playing a lot of, of people's fears and they like, I don't know if a huge number of them were against the idea of scientific progress entirely. It's just no. all of them were very frightened about what uh, men of science, because it was largely men of science, I don't think it was mm. exclusively, but, you know, that was, that was the landscape at the time, were sort of doing without any real kind of goal or restriction or yeah. anything like that. I think um, to some extent, like, people who don't know anything about science are still worried about that. Um 
Because yeah. we, I think we all remember the, the Large Hadron Collide, and everyone was like, "It's going to make a black hole," and it's like you don't know anything about science at all. So be, please be quiet. Yeah, but like now, people generally base those fears in the lack of knowledge that they have. Yeah.、Uh, whereas at the time, there was still like this real fear that the very desire for acquisition of knowledge was in and of itself dangerous and sinful. Like not completely, but the extent to which it was being taken by philosophers and men of science was like in some way incredibly dangerous. Which, to be honest, if you like are basically allowed to experiment without any real restriction on what you're doing, it might be. I feel like although this started being on topic,、uh, we've maybe <laughs> veered off a little bit. I don't know. I think like these are all necessary background. Things to discuss about this. There's、True. no, there's no magic in the story of Frankenstein. It is no. It, like, it perhaps takes a little bit of your willing suspension of disbelief to believe that Frankenstein's experiment actually works, but there isn't any like actual magic in it. So in this case,、mm. the magic is like this: the system around which the like pre-scientific culture is predicated, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way that magic is portrayed in quite a lot of. Uh, fictional settings, generally less so in games like Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. But often, like magic is shown to be like the form of power that is like very attuned with nature and history and tradition, and is sometimes a stand-in for like the self-sufficient traditions of、um, non-industrialized societies, which. Oh shit! Now we're gonna get onto like the subject of white people fucking everything up again. <laughs> so that that's why I think like this subject of magic versus technology turns up so much. It's basically a way of emphasizing a conflict that was culturally important, but which, without some sort of embellishment of the、uh, of one of the sides, technology is always going to win. Yeah. Except in Power Rangers Zeo, where magic wins in the end, kind of. Are you gonna <laughs> drop this this early? I I mean I guess. Okay, Beth. Right. Please explain how Power Rangers is relevant to the topic of this podcast. Okay. Well, obviously in Mighty Morphin, anybody who's seen Mighty Morphin Power Rangers will know that it was definitely kind of vague science versus magic, and in the end, science won in that series. But then some stuff happened. Rita kind of got. A one up on them, and you know, then like Lord Zed pops out. Lord Zed, not a lot of people know this, was invented for purely just the American TV show. So anything you see with like Lord Zed in Power Rangers, completely new footage.、Um, anyway, the production so, of Power Rangers is so fucking weird. It is.、Um, I don't know how they do it half the time because it's anywhere, honestly anywhere. the most fascinating component of the entire show as a cultural concept. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Um, so Lord Zed is like he's very much tech technology based, and he actually like looks like this kind of weird, gross kind of monster. He's a very American design monster, and I think that's how you can tell he was kind of an original thing for the American broadcast. Anyway, um, but he's very technology based. All his enemies are suddenly technology based, as opposed to Rita's, who were magic based. And then you have the Power Rangers, and the Power Rangers in Zio are magic based. Like that's where they get their powers from. I'm pretty sure this is right. Anyway, I could get this completely wrong, and someone went, "Actually, Beth, it's the other way around." What the hell are you talking about? But I'm fairly certain they're magical 
they're magic powered in this. I talk like a load of stuff coming out of my mouth on this podcast <laughs> all the time and I think well oh, so yeah. this kind of sounds like bullshit I kind of hope I'm not just talking out of my ass hell <laughs> no, yeah. there's like yeah. two people who I ask about it on Tuesdays yeah generally I mean, so far I have been at least vaguely correct enough on all the historical stuff yeah no but, but I mean like with, with like history and geography everyone's like well Beth kind of sounds like she knows what she's on about, but like pop culture stuff, I'm expecting really to actually because, know like, this you stuff. You don't know the, the, the point of like uh, Beth geography that yeah. uh, I was exposed to last night. Yes, <laughs> it runs on its own internal logic. Yeah. Um, anyway, suffice to say that Beth has only a fleeting grasp on how rivers work. <laughs> I don't know, like, I know they are a body of water that, like, kind of goes into the land somehow, and maybe ends up out at the sea, but, Honestly, like... Honestly, the most concerning thing about the map I was shown is that it implies that Beth does not understand the difference between fresh and salt water, and yeah. that, that makes me worry, like, how is she alive? I just, I don't know the difference. And doesn't it just, like, taper off into fresh water at some point? Surely, right? <laughs> Jesus, don't keep any of this in the podcast, Alex. I'm begging you. I sound like such a fucking idiot. <laughs> anyway, you were, a long time ago, you were talking about the Power Rangers. I was talking about the Power Rangers a long time, time ago. But in the end, in Zeo, they... And I think, weirdly, they're probably at their most powerful in Zeo. I'm not counting later series, which didn't have the kind of quote-unquote original team in. Um, so, yeah. But Magic won in the end, kind of. And then they all turned into cars in Turbo and lost everything. And then they got sent into space, which is the best one. So, uh, yeah. Magic won in the end in Power Rangers Zeo. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know how now we've established work. that Power Rangers can like divine like the outcome of the conflict we are discussing in either direction, depending on exactly what kind of story they want to tell. Yeah, without yeah. Without any real like agenda. Oh um, yeah. Then uh, I think we we can try and start to talk about. Uh, okay, why do I hate this trope so much? Why do you hate this trope so much? When the thing is, like pitting magic against technology makes a lot of sense, but it also makes no sense at all. Mm. It's very much dependent on the way, generally, the way that magic is predicated in your society. Technology is more of a known quantity, being a thing that actually exists. Um, so it tends not to like change so much. But here's my problem with magic versus technology. Well, okay, I have a lot of problems with magic versus technology. Here is one of them. It's really fucking boring. There is a game by Troika, uh, which came out around the time that everybody was making uh, top-down, well, not top-down, like isometric, uh, angular top-down, um, pre-rendered uh, RPGs. So, you know, Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and all that stuff. Well, Troika made the Temple of Elemental Evil and... Arcanum. Arcanum was buggy as shit, but it had a pretty cool concept, which was that it was basically a, um, it was a, a an epic fantasy setting, 
that was undergoing its industrial revolution. Which is really cool because it means that you can be like a, an elf or a, or a dwarf or a gnome or a troll or whatever, but they're all dressing up in like Victorian fashions and they have steam power and they have like firearms to an extent, but they still like sometimes use uh, like uh, hand arms and armor and, and that sort of thing. Um, and central to the plot and the mechanics is this concept of magic and technology basically do not work in the presence of each other so you can't like you can't combine the two effectively because they're just diametrically opposed and that killed the excitement for me because i was like oh god not this shit again it's not interesting because basically all of the stories that don't have a really tiresome agenda behind them about this concept have been told already and so when you put that sort of thing into a game, then you're running up against, well, okay, all of the cool things that could have come about by combining these two concepts now can't happen. And on some level it makes sense, because of course there's a lot of, of uh, like engineering and technology that relies on the laws of physics remaining fairly constant, and there's quite a lot of magic that relies on that not happening. So you can understand cases where like magic might prevent a technological device from functioning correctly. Hmm. Um, in the Rivers of London uh, book series, uh, which I do recommend that you read, even if I felt a bit weird when I found out the author was white, given some of the things that he says in the book, um, there's this thing where like you can't cast magic in the presence of things with silicon chips in it because it will vaporize the silicon, provided <laughs> they're connected to electricity. So the, the, the really fun thing about Rivers of London is that the protagonist doesn't accept this it's not just a case of, like, he is taken into the magical world and he discovers that he must leave the trappings of his technological life behind. He's like, no, fuck this. <laughs> so he, he does, like, a whole load of experimentation with magic and then he, like, builds these devices that basically, like, operate like a, a catch mechanism to disconnect the batteries of his mobile phone so that he <laughs> won't fry the chips of his phone every time he's doing magic. And that's the kind of protagonist I want in that kind of environment uh yeah. he is a policeman which i identify with less i think than I, I would otherwise have done uh although it's it's a really good series of books go and read uh rivers of london which is the first one um i can't remember what the others are called but i think most of the editions they're printing now will have like pictures of the covers of the other books uh inside them so it shouldn't be that hard to figure out um so yeah, that's the, that's that's the kind of thing that I want because I just find it so much more interesting to mm. see stories uh, and games where those things can be combined. Which was why I was so disappointed in Arcanum because I was like, you you could have so many things, Cause, like, well, in Dawnsomber there is a country called Relend. Well, um, it's it's kind of a country. It's a country in as much as it's a large area of land that is not owned by any other political entity. But it's basically like a collection of city-states that move around. If you've ever read Mortal Engines, it's like that crossed with Mad Max, but everything is made out of stone and powered by magic. But the reason why I made Relend is because I wanted, like, the technological faction, but I didn't want them to be completely um, arcanophobic, because Dawn yeah. Summer is a relatively high magic setting, and the idea of 
completely swearing off magic in a high magic setting where magic works in a fairly predictable and logical way seemed really silly and honestly like that introduces a sort of your mileage may vary um quality into the whole thing because it's like well maybe in a low magic setting then there aren't too many consequences of like swearing off magic for technology Mm. and in a setting where magic is very very unpredictable combining the two doesn't generally go very well yeah but honestly, like the way I see it is, um, the way the way some of the tribes in in Reland use technology and magic is that they will design some technological creation, and then at specified points in a controlled manner, they will use magic to basically fill inconvenient holes uh, in the physical functioning of the design. Yeah. One of the fundamental laws of physics causing you a you know, little problem in a particular place, sure, just bung in a looping spell right up in there and make sure it's contained, and you're fine. It's <laughs> yeah. it's the cheating place. It's for people who do web dev in higher than jQuery frameworks. It's when you break down and use jQuery, like, yeah. hidden away in a very contained space. If you program primarily in jQuery, I am sorry. I don't, personally. <laughs> But it, um, it's, it's that kind of, yeah. of place where, like, the magic is controlled and it is, like, restricted, but they're not afraid to use it. And, of course, I, th- I think there's probably also a faction in Relend that's just, like, fix all problems with magic. Hold yeah. everything together with glamours and whatnot. Yeah. I think Tiwath has, I think, a similar attitude. Because Tiwath's, like, technically going through an industrial revolution. There are legitimately things like telegrams and railways and steamboats and stuff like that. But again, they fill in the bits they can do with like magic, and magic's really useful because you can transport things really quickly. Like you need to build a train, you can build one a lot quicker with magic. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's kind of I'm sort of thinking about um, Will Wheaton's tabletop thing that he's doing at the minute, uh, Titan's Grave, where it's sort of very high fantasy, but also very like high concept sci-fi as well which i find really interesting because they'll go into places and they'll come across something and in the concept art that they do for it you're not entirely sure if it's a thing of science or if it's a thing of magic or if it's both and i find that really interesting the idea that these two things have formed together so completely that they're almost indistinguishable from one another and they're kind of almost symbiotic and i find that much more interesting than being like Hmm. on this side gandalf and on that side victor frankenstein who will win in their fight gandalf would win obviously but yeah yeah but that's because Uh, like victor frankenstein is a whiny little knob (laughs) yeah and gandalf gets shit done and is functionally immortal i know yeah I, I bet, like, Gandalf's buff as hell, and Victor Frankenstein's probably got, like, nothing as well. Like, Gandalf wouldn't even need to use magic. Gandalf could just, like, punch and knock out. <laughs> Gandalf could just beat him up. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Oh, God. <laughs> I think, like, maybe that's another reason why um, in settings that don't necessarily have a an agenda to fill with the whole magic versus technology thing, they still come to blows, is because... In many cases, magic and technology tend to sort of fill the same ecological niche, if you like. Yeah, yeah. That a lot of the time, like you look at Harry Potter, 
mm. quite a lot of things, particularly in the scenes in the burrow, um, yeah. where you see a lot of the, of the very domestic stuff going on, you will yeah. see that there's quite a lot of things that we, as muggle people, use uh, technology for that are like that niche is filled by magic in their world. Yeah. But I mean, that it re- Harry Potter really frustrates me because you get really cool shit like the flying car, right? Mm. And then you get to Hogwarts and it's like, technology's banned. Imagine how amazing wizard TV would be, just for a second. Their photographs move, what can their TVs do? But we never find out because apparently they're like, we don't need TV. I'm like, but... I think that's probably, like, bear in mind Harry Potter is set in the 90s, so, like, I presume that wizard TV as well as muggle TV would be significantly shitter at that point. It might be in the Harry Potter universe, now there is wizard TV. Oh, yeah. I feel that, like, there's got to be, like, some kind of ripple in, yeah. like, wizard experimentation just out from Arthur Weasley. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they because they have things like radios. Who brought radios into the wizarding world, well, right? Well, the implication is that, like, r- magical radios are a um, skewermorph, as in they're not actually electronic. They're just magical radios that behave like electronic ones. So maybe that's how they would do TV as well. It well, would yeah. be like they would take the basic concept, but then they would replicate it in magic. Yeah. So I just and then you have like they made like Arthur Weasley made that car so much better though. Loads of space in the back for all his millions of children. Loads of space in the trunk for all his millions of luggages for his millions of children. And then like more room in the front as well, and it can fly and turn invisible. What in this what, podcast noted Harry Potter scholar. Beth, Baroness Bamf of House of Bards, vastly overestimates the admittedly rather large number of children that Arthur Weasley has. <laughs> he does have a lot of children, to be fair. And I can totally understand. He put like he looked at the car and was like, "I cannot fit all of my children into this car, right? I can maybe get like." Percy, the twins in, and Ginny if she squeezes in in the middle, right? We've all been on that road trip. He went, yeah. this is this is no good. I'm going to have to make this bigger on the inside. Hmm. Is the car actually bigger on the inside, though? It is bigger on the inside. Do you want me to get my copy of Chamber no, of the no, Secrets I, out? I, I believe you, because there's quite a lot of other stuff that Arthur Easy interacts with that is bigger on the inside, like yeah. uh, the tent at the Trousers Cup. Yeah. It's not yeah. the Trousers Cup. There was no tent at the Trousers Cup. The no. Quidditch World Cup. Quidditch Cup, yeah. See that tent, amazing. Although tents technically not a modern invention, I suppose. But not really, whatever. but then we get into that question for episode two about what actually is technology. This is also why technology versus magic is bullshit. There's yeah. no cut-off point between the old technology that magic is cool with and the new technology that it isn't. Yeah. I mean, it's at like, least Rivers of London was like, no, specifically silicon chips are the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Like you've got to be a bit more specific. I I find that. Like, I am going to just talk about the flying car, because it was one of those concepts as a kid that I went, this is amazing, I love fiction. And then nothing that cool ever shows up in Harry Potter ever again, apart from, like, maybe... Mm, no, nothing that cool ever showed up again. But it's... it's I just... I love that concept. So, like, the tr- why doesn't the train in Harry Potter fly? Imagine how cool that would be. Well, the and it never does. the train in Harry Potter is, like despite leaving from a station that doesn't actually exist, an actual train that goes across the actual countryside. So a flying train would perhaps not be, like... I mean, as proof of that, Harry and Ron were able to fly the flying car out of London and then catch up with the train. So the train is not, like, going through a 
like parallel dimension or anything. That's true. That that is weird though because presume is is it like is it like in theory an abandoned line then that as muggles we see it as an abandoned train line Probably. because it can't obviously run on a normal train line because then it would crash into another train. Yeah, that's, that's and true. cause delays. Mm. Unless of course everybody who works in um the kind of train or th- what do we call the people in this country who work with trains and train stations i don't know capitalist pigs Cap- yeah but anyway the- those people rail. <laughs> Not yet the the anyway those people the people who work on the railways maybe they're all just in on it and like the masquerade is so high that even to obviously harry potter they'd be like i can't tell this kid where platform nine and three quarters is because it would break the masquerade. He's got to figure it out for himself. No, I don't agree <laughs> I mean, with yeah, that at all. No, obviously not. It like the more I feel like the it's an abandoned line idea yeah. is more likely, and especially since I do believe that we have like enough abandoned railway across yeah. this country that that conceivably could work. I don't know that that's a fact. I would have to speak to my friend Ellen, who knows a lot about transport and roads and rails and all of that stuff mm. i i think it probably they probably would be abandoned lines and stuff like that or an entire or again as muggles we can't see it or perceive it which well i think like there's bridges and shit on there so it's oh, well, probably yeah. we would see it as like being run down and abandoned yeah i well, think that's though, probably to be like honest it. like probably only like muggles who would need to be in the know would see that because honestly, how many times have you seen like a railway line and had no idea why it was there, where it's going, or where it comes from? Were you just like, oh well, this is a railway line. I presume that this is serving some place with people and or goods from another place. That's true, actually. Yeah, it probably they probably just don't fucking bother. Yeah. But see, that's magic and technology working together. Yeah. But honestly, Arthur Weasley is pretty much the uh, the the sort of like hero figure for rejection of magic versus technology. Absolutely, yeah. Because like he's actually willing to experiment and he asks questions about things that he doesn't understand. No, the man is a champion, he seriously. He approaches magic from admittedly not the best scientific perspective, but even so, he's like, you know, he, he is willing to take the knowledge that he knows he doesn't have and then use that as a f- fundamental basis for his magic. There was a lot of hoo-ha for a while over that um, that one uh, extra in the back of one of the films who is reading... Which of Stephen Hawking's books is it? I don't know. I know which one you're on about, yeah. Is it A Brief History of Time? Did Stephen I Hawking think so, yeah. yeah. I would have to, uh, have to look this up. But, um, see, I didn't see a problem with that, though, to be honest, because I'm like... Yeah. If we posit that magic is a means by which the laws of physics don't generally happen, it's not always the laws of physics, sometimes it's like hmm. mind magic and stuff, but, but even then, that's like, depending on how it works, still altering the, the laws of physics somehow. Hmm. If magic is that being forced not to work the way, like, the way, that doesn't mean that everything is bullshit in science, yeah. it just means that science is like the um, the control. Science is a until you start interfering with it, this is how it works. And then it will stop working like that and work this way when you do magic. But, like, you have to actually exert some kind of will on that. Yeah. So I don't think it's that weird that a wizard would want to, like, know about that stuff. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know if in that particular universe it's entirely necessary, but you can definitely see him like wanting to have that knowledge if he does a lot of experimentation with magic. Because I feel like having a grounding in like the baseline of how the world works before you start messing with it, like you can see somebody doing that just so that then they can, especially if they were doing things like inventing new spells, mm. they'd be like, okay, what is it that I actually want to do? And like, how, how can that be achieved? Like, how is the thing that I want not to be happening actually happening? And what would be the neatest way to stop that happening? Like, what one thing should I ch- try, try and change with this new spell? Mm. I don't honestly think that that's a very weird approach to magic at all. Certainly, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of mages in Dawn Somber who would approach it that way. Yeah. Maybe not all of them. And uh, sorcerers, I think, might take a little more uh, happy-go-lucky kind of approach. Although I am basing like all of my presuppositions about sorcerers in Dawn Somber on Silas. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, I don't know if it's a great idea for Silas to invent a spell. <laughs> honestly, I don't know if it's a great idea for Jay to invent a spell either, because it would probably be like really weird and kind of discordant. I would... The I think the spell that Jay would most like to create would be that spell would be something that would allow Jay to go back in time, retrieve multiple other Jays, and start a band together. That's the kind of spell Jay would like to create. Until such a point as the original Jay is kicked out of the band by the other three Jays <laughs> and replaced on drums by Silas. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And other in-jokes from our game that we are putting into the podcast. <laughs> Watch Steven Universe. Watch Steven Universe. That's relevant, I promise you. Um, but yeah, it's. I like that that idea as to how magic works and how you can use an understanding of science and technology to like, to to fuel uh, the understanding of magic in your setting. And it also mm. means that there's no real like conflict between them if you don't want there to be. It's a kind of thing where like magic fixes the inconvenient problems in particular specific cases for magic uh, for science and te- technology. Yeah. which otherwise worked their own consistent, if restricted, set of rules. And I honestly think that's great. Yeah. Like, that's that's really good. I like the... Basically, I like the idea of engineers who can do magic. Like, <laughs> people who don't yeah. just, like, stop once they're told, well, the rules of the magic prevent this from ever happening, the twain shall never meet, and actually, like, attempting to fix this problem, to work around it. Mm. I'm very much invested in that idea, and it's sort of like diametrically opposed to the idea of magic versus technology. Mm. Yeah, An- I think another setting where the forces of magic and technology are sometimes at each other's throats is the Shadowrun setting. It is the Shadowrun setting. Um, for those of you who don't know background information, once upon a time there was magic, and then there wasn't magic for a really long time, and life continued as normal, and then the magic came back. And that is the kind of premise that Shadowrun is set up. Shadowrun is like basically the exact opposite of Arcanum, in that it yeah. is a like normal, not fantasy world that becomes a fantasy world. Yeah, in, but it's like, also cyberpunk. Era. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very cyberpunk game, but it's this idea yeah. that like everybody starts sort of turning into like an elf or a yeah orc well, or whatever. Well, not everybody, but a lot or, of orcs and orcs and trolls are. Um, become that way at puberty, whereas elves and dwarves are born, I think is the rule. Elves are born elves, 
um, and dwarves are born dwarves, but you can become an orc or you can become a troll. Um, and of course, if you are one of these fantasy races, because you don't technically belong in the modern world, you can be allergic to things that exist in the modern world, like plastic or iron or um, something else. And you can have anything from like a light allergy to a severe, like deathly allergy. Like, you know, you touch iron and you take, you know, mortal damage until you're dead, basically. Um, whereas, you know, a light allergy is like being irritated and itchy and stuff like that. And as well, if you're a magic user in Shadowrun, particularly if you're a healer, you might find it very difficult to heal people who have a lot of cybernetics because the more cybernetics you get, the more of your soul kind of dies and you can't get... And there isn't anything in Shadowrun you can do to get bits of your soul back. They're always gone once you do that. So characters who have a lot of cybernetics and a lot of cyberware aren't as easily healed by magic as by, say, conventional medicine. Um, or presumably by repair, if they get cybernetic enough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true, yeah. Um, you know, and you can sometimes have these very odd characters who are deathly allergic to iron, but are, like, mostly cyborg. Um, and... Yeah, it, it's a very interesting setting and I do like the way that Shadowrun plays around with it because it's how much you want to play around with it and it isn't just like... And I can understand people's anxiety towards magic and magical things in Shadowrun because they weren't always there. It's a new thing, magic. I do like that Shadowrun to... does that as a way of it... like basically flipping the entire conflict on its head in that this time like technology still advances but technology is the old familiar thing. Whereas yeah. magic is the new scary um, thing that's advancing too fast. Yeah. Um, so it's it's very interesting in that aspect. And uh, with get tabletop games, it always depends how much the GM wants to play up magic versus technology. If it's a core trope message theme in the game. One thing I um, honestly feel that if you're going to run into this trope, you have to do is you have to erect some kind of cultural or educational barrier between mm. engineering and sorcery yeah because if you don't then those two things would never have evolved separately at all as it was like the early natural philosophers tried a whole load of ridiculous shit because they didn't know what worked like you remember um isaac newton was at least partially convinced that maybe alchemy was a thing Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Like turning base metals into precious metals. I mean it's not certain, but it might be. Let's let's give it a go. So a lot of times, like th there's a lot of magic where it's like if the magic is real, then scientists would know about it. Mm. Like because it's only the magic not being real that's put them off that track in our world. Yeah. There's a whole lot of, because basically they're just like trying to find ways to advance and they don't particularly care about like what the aesthetic of the particular advances they're trying to make are yeah so if you're going to have magic versus technology first of all they have to work differently and second mm. of all there needs to be like in all honesty the more high magic your setting gets the more difficult this becomes and mm. not just because of that but also because the more high magic set your setting gets the more likely that any fight between magic and technology will be won by magic because like, magic just breaks the criteria on which technology has to function. Yeah. So magic will literally always win. Now, yeah. sometimes you, you will come across cases where, like, 
a medium level magic um, setting has magic be unpredictable enough that the consistency of technology is its strength and you could do something there but honestly like I don't know like I, I'm trying to avoid like giving DM advice based on my personal opinion because obviously if, if you want to do this trope in your game because you think that the underlying theme is important or because you just like having that particular duality to split people off into magical characters and technological characters, fine. But I honestly think a setting is a lot more fun if you basically allow those things to be combined. Because it's like... Th think of like all of the problems that are facing our technology currently. And think about how many of those problems are like, basically, if this particular constraint did not exist, we would be able to make this kind of technology. It's like, there's a whole load of things like, um, what's something, there's a lot of things to do with like power. Like we can't mm. get enough power or we can get enough power, but not fast enough. And it's like, if you had a way of addressing some of those problems in a way that just allowed you to ignore physics, to ignore chemistry or biology, to just in a very limited way, bend reality to your will, to force a solution that otherwise nearly works, you'd fucking do it. Especially if you were aiming for, like, actually producing the thing in question, because capitalism. Like, capitalism would be all over using magic to fix holes in engineering. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, of course, that would still depend on, like, the danger... No, to be honest, it would not depend on the danger level of the magic I'm talking out of my ass. Like, there would yeah. be government regulations on how much magic you're allowed to put in something, but really... Like, they would what, find ways what? around that. They'd be like, well, yeah. you know, like, enchantment isn't the same as ambient magic. It's safer, probably. Yeah, it's true. Provided you don't break the thing mm. and let all the magic out. Don't give this toy to children under three because they might become changelings or something. <laughs> we don't Amazing. know we're not liable. Uh, I love it. That, that would be... It's, that's... Uh, yeah. I mean... The biggest problem is it does change the aesthetic of what you're going for in the setting. Yeah. And I, I acknowledge that. I'm like, if there's a particular aesthetic that you want to go for, where, like, the arcane knowledge of, of the elderly and of the, like, well-trained is conflicting with the new, um, exciting, consistent technology that is coming out of some kind of, in of industry, or if you want to flip those things around, like in Shadowrun. Although, honestly, I feel that in a good number of cases you could just play Shadowrun. Yeah, just just um, just play Shadowrun. But if you want to do those things, <laughs> that's fine. Mm. It's just I don't particularly like those settings. Yeah, it it's this is because I've been actually thinking about Steven Universe for the past few minutes. Um, although I'm always <laughs> kind of thinking about Steven Universe. As am I. This is probably just like going to slowly morph into a Steven Universe podcast where like yeah. we devote a third of our examples each to each of our worlds, and then a third is just Steven Universe. <laughs> Steven Universe. Anyway, so we have sort of the gems on Earth, and obviously their technology is... Spoilers if you haven't seen any of Steven Universe. In fact, if you haven't seen any of Steven Universe, pause the podcast right now and watch all of the episodes They are now. like 11 minutes long, and you will have a pretty good grounding by the end of Season 1. Season 2 has a lot of new exciting stuff in it, but I don't know if a huge amount of it as of yet, is uh, particularly relevant to your understanding. Mm. And of anyway. course, like because we're recording the podcast now, as long as that holds true, it won't be, because we can't like go into the future and find out stuff 
that will be revealed later and then come back and spoil it in the podcast because that would be weird. Oh man, I wish we could though. Could you imagine the power? No, Anywhere. let's not do that. <laughs> Anywhere. <That'd be> horrible. <laughs> Anywhere. So the gems on sort of Earth are less less scientifically advanced, and I think for a long time we probably thought they were magical, um, and that their powers were derived from magic. The, the more you get into the series, the more you realise that it's science fiction, and the more you realise that this is technology. It's just old technology, and it's like very much the aesthetic that's masking it. There's that. I'm I'm honestly quite surprised that we've done like we've been recording for like fifty minutes at this point, and we have not yet brought up that fucking Arthur C. Clarke quote. <laughs> What's the what what quote? Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from of magic. Of course, it's that quote. Yeah. Well, th- you know, there you go. Like a lot, a lot of time, the aesthetics completely just cover what is magic and what is science. Well, yeah, you get it in the the, f- uh, the earth. The, like the the crystal gems technology is quite a lot of it is made of stone. There's a lot of it mm. that has like weird inscriptions and carvings on it. A lot of it like moves around using glowing lights. Uh, it's very ephemeral. It's very ethereal. Um, quite a lot of it is like keyed to items that we traditionally, uh, at least in European culture understand to have some kind of, of significance in uh, sorcery and that kind of thing. So it's it's not like a massively uh, it's not it's not a massive stretch that we initially presume it to be magical. And in fact, Stephen yeah. does as well. Yeah, and then fucking yeah, this is yeah this is paradox the shows start, up by the way. And then fucking Peridot shows up and fucking destroys everything we've ever known about the aesthetic of Steven Universe. And it's just like, we're actually, we're aliens from another planet. We're not magical beings at all. And here's a giant spaceship shape like a hand. It's like that uses... very obviously robotic and it contains like force fields and like Star Trek doors and shit like that. And it's yeah. like, oh, homeworld technology is much more advanced now and it looks like technology. Yeah. Which, Which is an interesting way to take that. You know? Yeah, uh, but th- I think that's very typical of... Um, Steven Universe has this really strong um, anime aesthetic occasionally. Hmm, and yeah. I, th- I think I touched upon this an episode a couple of episodes ago, last episode, where I was talking about like anime sci-fi, where I was really talking about Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z, but particularly Sailor Moon, because in the manga of Sailor Moon, they're they're kind of you know they're all from the moon they're all aliens from other planets essentially is the idea they're princesses from other planets and they have all this sort of magical technology and then like straight up at the end of the first arc luna the talking cat is like oh come on let's go down to the command center and underneath the arcade i'm not even shitting you there was like a nasa-esque like space control center where like they just go down and i was like reading the manga at this point having only ever watched the anime and i was like this completely destroys all of the aesthetic of sailor moon also why has the cat never talked about this place before then and i was like uh because like the anime really tries to keep the kind of fantasy aesthetic going for like as long as possible and you can't do that if luna has a nasa-esque control center underneath the arcade Hmm. Yeah, but we were we were talking about Steven Universe. Yeah, Steven uh, Universe. We went off on that tangent, but um, <laughs> another thing I think is that because of the target audience of the show, because Steven Universe is still a show for children—not small children, mm. but like tweens and up. Uh, 
Yeah, I, would, I, I don't know. I know quite a few, like, seven, eight-year-olds who enjoy Steven Universe. Oh, yeah, so. I mean, like, it holds a lot of, yeah. of, of appeal. For, I don't know if they're necessarily the target demo. But the yeah. point is, when you're making a show with that particular target audience, there's really no shame in, like, very strong, like, the theming equivalent of block colours. Yeah. For instance, one of the uh, the visual cues that they use a lot is characters gaining stars in their eyes when they are excited or uh, impressed or mm. uh, in some kind of anticipation. It's mainly Stephen who does it, but uh, if yeah. you look closely, Pearl and Greg also do it. And, yeah. and Rose of does course, it Rose does it, yes. Um, or Rose did it because well, she's dead now. Shh. That's not a spoiler. You go into the show well, knowing yeah, that. Yes, but I'm like, there's so much that we're just bringing up that's like tangentially related and it'll make me harder to edit, know, the, she, edit the podcast. She dead. Yeah, anyway. she did. She did. Well, sort of. Yeah. Um, but... So I think in in that particular case, if we can haul this back to the original point we were making before we just started randomly talking about Steven Universe and its anime uh, inspirations, yeah. is it makes sense then to make the old gem tech, which is supposed to be less advanced, look like look very arcane compared to the new gem tech, which is has an aesthetic that's very much closer to what we associate with modern technology, because then even though that doesn't necessarily make sense in Clarkian models of yeah. advanced technology, it's an immediate visual cue as to this. If we assume this is all technology, this is more advanced than this. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. in role-playing games, which is what this podcast is about, you can use... Um, maybe magic and technology are not in and of themselves particularly important to whatever it is that you happen to be doing. I feel like maybe in World of Darkness you could pull this off mm. or some other like system where like it's pretty modern and pretty familiar where you could have things look magical or look technological depending on what sort of... Because of... that's half the thing, isn't it? Like, this is half the, the point is that it's not necessarily that technology and magic are even that incompatible. It's just that they represent different aesthetics. Yeah. There's different theming going on. Like, um, I know that D&D has, like, pushed gnomes very hard into artifice. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's, that's really just as much to do with gnomes being kind of useless otherwise as it is with, yeah. like, you know, other stuff. They don't exist in my setting. That's how uh, brutal I went. I went, no, Dungeons and Dragons, gnomes are not a thing. But totally allowed Dragonborn. I, I allowed gnomes, but they come from the same country as tieflings, so they're yeah. like really far away and there's not a lot of them. <laughs> we put the gnomes over there! Mm. Yeah. Although, to be honest, you've like met both, so they, oh, they yeah, spread yeah. out a bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no. I, I like the gnome characters we've met, so it's, it's okay. But yeah, so, yeah. Like, that, that's half the problem, is that there's a very... Yeah. like, um... And Pathfinder, I think, is a good example of what happens if you don't keep check of this mm. if you're like okay i don't really want to restrict those things so let's just let those two aesthetics do their thing like you look at the the, the like default settings of pathfinder and it's fucking hideous there's all <laughs> this like different mishmash of like different time periods fashions and and technologies and cultural attitudes all like rammed together into one big mush and it's kind of gross yeah um like a big undercooked shepherd's pie no. No. Not like that at all. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is I think 
do whatever you want. Basically, this whole podcast is me saying I don't personally like magic versus technology as a trope because I think it's overdone, it's no longer culturally relevant, and it restricts a lot of otherwise very fun stuff that you could do with the interaction between those two forces in a setting. Mm. So if you wanted, based on me giving those reasons, to make a setting where those two things interact a lot, I would be happy about that. But that's still my opinion, and at the end of the day, if you want to do magic versus technology as a trope because you like its aesthetic or its like thematic meaning or you just can't really establish a marriage between magic and technology that isn't ludicrously overpowered so you have to split them up fine go and do that cool yeah just you know if you want to make magic as an aesthetic and technology as an aesthetic fight each other you go do that and Honestly, if you're going to do that as like a source of inspiration, I would strongly recommend you watch Steven Universe. That's Because it does those two aesthetics fighting very well. They do fight. Both of them are science, so I question yeah. whether Beth has your best interests at heart or just wants you to watch Steven Universe. I do as it's well. It's both. It is in your best interests to watch Steven Universe. I feel she's probably lying, but I'm not going to like back that up because I also want you to watch Steven Universe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we we've covered much in this podcast: Harry Potter, Power Rangers, Steven Universe, Sailor Moon, Dungeons and Dragons, Shadowrun, <laughs> Arcanum. Very briefly, the World of Darkness, mm-hmm. which I feel like I would talk more about if I knew exactly how Mage the Awakening and Mage the whatever the fuck the new one is handle conflicts between magic and technology. Although, I remember when I played Mage the Awakening, I was allowed to use, like, whichever of the magics it is that allows you to, like, look back in time. I was able to do that with my phone, which I thought was (laughs) cool. That's really cool, yeah. Like, there is actually an entire faction in Mage the Awakening, and I believe in the newer mage as well, assuming that Mage the Awakening is the older mage, as I believe it is, um, Mm. called the Virtual Adepts. And indeed, another one who are based on, like, engineers... So, yeah. like, th- there is a capacity for the combination of magic and technology. And I, I, I pretty much always play a virtual adept because I love the virtual adepts. They're such a good idea. This idea that, yeah. like... No, you know what? Read Neil Gaiman's American Gods because if you want an insight into, like, pretty much the ultimate marriage of these two concepts, the idea that old magic in the terms of the power attributable to folklore is the same thing as technology then you will find an explanation to that in Neil Gaiman's American Gods, which is also actually just a really good Neil Gaiman book. Although I would probably say that because it is basically the only Neil Gaiman book I've ever read. I'm going to read The Ocean of the End of the Lane and Anansi Boys at some point, but I don't really Are you books. ever going to read Good Omens? That's the real question. I don't know, maybe? You should probably read Good Omens. Like... Anyway, that's not relevant. I mean, it's just a good book. Uh, read American Gods. <laughs> read American Gods. Because... Th- 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 <laughs> I mean, stick with it. The bit I'm talking about happens, like, maybe two-thirds of the way through the book, where suddenly you'll realise that, like, at least in, in that in that universe, but also, like, generally, thematically, you can have it, that getting magic and technology to fight is ridiculous, because, as Arthur C. Clarke alluded, they are literally the same thing. They are the same continuum. And... And like, even if you go back to the natural philosophers, there was always the strong chance that, depending on what turned out to be real, they would be the same thing. Hmm. I mean, um, I've always been interested in how it affects 
characters who are magical, very much like in Shadowrun with, you know, the allergies to, um, you know, stuff that we would consider very normal and stuff that's in almost everything. I remember reading a book called Half Bad by Sally Green. It's a very good book. I would recommend it. Um, And there are essentially two groups of um, magical users. There are white witches and black witches or dark witches. Um, And white witches have no problem at all interacting with modern technology, but black witches do. They can't be around modern technology. It makes their head feel funny. They get headaches. They can't sleep inside. They have to sleep outdoors because they need to be around nature more often. And I found that really interesting how some people just couldn't, maybe some magic users can't use technology because it interferes with them on a level. It's like it interferes with their biology almost. I find that very interesting. Uh, yeah, maybe you could have the idea that like not all of the kinds of magic in your world interact badly with technology, but some of them do. Like yeah. druids, for instance, probably going to need to be around nature a lot, so maybe they can use technology, but not a huge amount. Yeah. But like some examples of ways that you could combine magic with technology for something cool. Bards who make electronic music. Ah, oh, sick. Come I already on. love that idea. It's so good. <laughs> Do it. Tune bards. Come on. And like basically the virtual adepts from Mage to be honest. It's it's I I really really love the virtual adepts. I think they yeah. they exemplify that idea that that magic and new technologies don't necessarily have to be like opposing forces. Yeah. So virtual adepts Arthur Weasley and Arthur C. Clarke are the f- people we feel that you should listen to on this case. Yeah. What exactly is the function of a rubber duck? I mean, I feel Harry could probably have answered that question, but... Could it's... he have, though? Because I don't know the function of a rubber duck. I don't know how rubber ducks work. <laughs> Mind you, I don't know how rivers work. It's true, she doesn't. I really don't. I have no shame in admitting that whatsoever. You, you I didn't take... G- I didn't take GCSE geography. I didn't pay attention during core geography ever. Like you, you can't just have it like cut right through a continent. That's not. Well, it does. It does. But then it's not a river. Then it's just like two continents really close together, or at least like a canal. All right, then it's a it's a canal. What more do you want? Like it's it's not a canal. It's whatever the Panama Canal was. All right, which it it was a canal, but it was also like it cut North America off from South America. It's quite it's quite clearly just a really big river and you have to deal with it, Alex. But I don't know what to tell you. Are fresh water and they flow from high places down into the sea. It's not just maybe, like a river cuts from the sea through to the sea. Maybe it does. Maybe it do- maybe I'm just bad river. at drawing maps, Alex. Maybe I'm bad at drawing maps. Have you ever considered that? See, this is I... important to me because in this particular context my character is trying to sail up this river and if the river is like going in both directions from a water source in the middle, that's going to be bad for him because then he can't sail his boat up it. (laughs) Uh, I feel that's probably us. Yeah, it's probably us. So, this has been House of Barnes. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have been Alex. And I've been Beth. You can contact me at Baroness Banff, and that's both on Tumblr and on Twitter. I, on Tumblr and Twitter, am Cleaver Cramish. So that is Clever Crumbish. And... You could also contact us by using the hashtag House of Bards. That is all one word on Twitter, but feel mm-hmm. free to split it up in other places. Mm. Um, the 
Intro and outro music is by Kevin McLeod, and I will put a credit for the background art in the video description and in the description of any other place that this is posted with that art. Feel free to contact us with your comments on the podcast. Uh, anything from praise to criticism to new topics that we could do. We are especially looking for new topics to do. Um, mm-hmm. We do still have some in the tank, but we're getting like right down to the ones that are like really cool ideas but difficult to pull off mm. uh, there are some that involve like getting a guest on the show and there are there's the one uh where we just basically talk D stories at you for an hour which i want yeah. to do but beth thinks would be better with somebody else on the podcast as well yeah i feel like maybe that one would go on long enough that we might be able to cut it up into like two podcasts which would be helpful that's to true. me because at some point i do want to go home and see my parents that's true yeah well but yeah, yeah uh, all in all if you take nothing from this podcast, take from the, the idea that you don't have to have magic and technology as diametrically opposed concepts just because that's what you've seen. Mm. It doesn't have to happen. It will be fine. Experiment with how those things work in your world because there are a lot more imaginative ideas that you can get going with, especially in an interactive medium like role-playing games. Mm. You are the master of your own story, both literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. You could also do that in your role-playing games which this podcast is about yeah it's not really it's about steven universe but honestly i feel like we could maybe just do a steven universe podcast what would we what would it even be about would it just be like steven universe rewatch or what i don't i am honestly fine with doing like steven universe rewatch okay Cool, but Steven I, Universe I rewatch. We, we don't currently have the time, but that's something I would actually really like to do. Cause yeah, so yeah. Cool. Steven Universe re- rewatch coming to a House of Bards sub playlist near you. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, it's not off the table, is what I'm saying. And, and get more views than this, to be fair. If we, we just want to go full capitalist, we could put ads on it and everything. We could make t shirts. Amazing. I, we I, could become I, true I I don't really want to, bourgeois scum. I don't know if I would want to, like. <laughs> merchandise our like our podcast of of steven universe because of the (laughs) implication that rebecca sugar might like come to my house in the middle of the night and stare mournfully through my window at me until i felt incredibly guilty about what i did (laughs) 